Tales from Mortimer Poe. Mortimer Poe, the half-dead raven, is a distant cousin to Hunan and Munin, the ravens that bring tales of the world to Odin. But Mortimer, born outside the window of Edgar Allan Poe, only brings tales of worlds that aren't real to the ears of those who want to explore alternate realms of possibility. Today, Mortimer brings you the tale of Dante's Circle. I really can't stand this bar. Dante's Circle, it was called, and it belabored the theme. I stared at the murals painted on the walls. The one directly in front of me rendered purgatory, full of mottled brown and gray tones contrasting sharply with the vivid reds and oranges of hell to my right, and the blues and whites of paradise on my left. I could almost forgive them, though, because they were the elderly building's original decor, painted into the plaster in such a way one hundred years of remodeling hadn't removed them. I rubbed my temples. The whole place insulted my sense of style. Even the overstuffed chairs were all vintage, which was very much in style at the moment. I think it's about time we got up and danced, Matthias said, moving his shoulders to the beat of Saints to Sinners, the lead song from Peruvian Fighting Frog's debut album. Matthias held out a hand. I didn't move, but Angelique took it and moved out to the dance floor with him. Jessica stood up and followed, trailing out a hand to a good-looking guy sitting alone at the table a few feet away. He stood up so fast he tripped over his chair to get to her. The new girl, Lila, slowly rose and tentatively dodged around the furniture to get to the dance floor, where she awkwardly took up a spot midway between the two couples. I ordered another rum and coke instead of joining them. Ordinarily, live music was one of my greatest pleasures. My knack for discovering the best new bands in town helped secure my place in the new Janus jet set. I'd discovered the Peruvian fighting frogs through a DJ who heard them playing a wedding reception, then dropped a few words in the right ears to get them a gig at Dante's Circle. Yet tonight they sounded terrible, an irritating racket hammering into my brain. I downed my drink faster than I should have while I watched my friends dance. I came here because it was the in place to be right now, but I couldn't wait until we moved on to some other club. I kept up with these things. I knew where to be seen, and with whom. It never seemed a burden until now. Anyway, it wasn't really my fashion sensibilities, or the lukewarm performance of one of my favorite local bands, that made me dislike this club so much. It was just the feeling of the place. Dante's circle always felt crowded. I looked around the room, and even though only a few people hung out at the bar this early in the night, it felt as packed as it would be when the real crowds showed up at ten for the main act. I hated to admit it, but the trendiest bar in New Janus just flat out gave me the screaming heebie-jeebies. I watched Matthias and Angelique grind their hips together in a slow, titillating style that left no question the two were going home together. Jessica wasn't as cozy with her anonymous guy, but got points for style, leading his steps in a way that looked choreographed even though he was a total stranger. Alone, 
Lila jerked her arms just a fraction off the beat of the music. Those uncoordinated shuffles came straight out of the high school prom. That girl isn't going to last. I glanced over Lila's outfit with a critical eye. Last season's pastel skirt and an oversized blouse, worn without flair, were so far out of style, she must have dug them out of her mother's closet. I started to laugh, but cut it short as my temples started throbbing. Lila treated club hopping like it was for fun. Her new money parents may have gotten her an invitation to hang out, but her lack of style was going to downgrade her to a second stringer pretty quickly. I wasn't about to warn her. She'd figure out soon enough that if she didn't get in the game, she'd be left out of more than a few party invitations. Oh my God, what was the problem with the sound system tonight? I would never have wasted a favor on this band if I'd known they would sound so screechy. I moved my eyes away from the flashing lights coming off the stage. I ended up staring at the scene of the sinful laboring through purgatory, since it muted the lighting. Supplicants pushed carts and carried rocks, muscles straining against their heavy burdens, eyes peeping heavenward as they toiled in the hope of salvation. The artist managed to capture a multitude of feelings in those eyes, hope and remorse and the love of God, all rendered by a few dabs of paint. My sudden sympathy for those weary souls brought me back to an awareness of my pulsing head. I worked my stiff neck and debated taking a volume. Then, somehow, I heard whispering behind me. Turning, I saw nothing but the vivid tones of hell on the wall. I turned back around and settled into my seat again. It's just my imagination. Shaking my head, I signaled for the waitress to bring me a cup of coffee. I'd had too much to drink, I decided, and the coffee would take away some of the fuzziness. As I waited, the noise intensified. It was a hum underneath the music that sounded at just the right note to shriek in my ears, causing physical pain. I thought it might be feedback in the band's sound system, but Matthias, Angelique, Jessica, and Lila danced, oblivious to the noise. I waved off the waitress when she came by with the coffee, unable to hear more than a murmur over that hum. Finally, the sharp note toned down to something a little less harsh, and as I relaxed, I picked up the sound of a conversation out of the general hum. What do you see? a voice asked, fading in and out with a strange Doppler-like effect. I turned around again. There was still nothing behind me but a wall and some chairs. It's hard, a second voice replied. Come on, the first voice urged. There's something out there tonight. I can feel it. The slurring faded, stretching only the beginning and the end of the sentence this time. Hey, the second voice shouted. Can you hear me? My eyes widened. Suddenly, my head filled with the noise of random chatting in the background, as if I was in the middle of a cocktail party instead of a nightclub. She can hear us, the voice from before yelled. 
I still couldn't see anyone, and from the sound, whoever it was should be standing right next to me. The music evaporated. Only the thump of the air in my chest from the drumbeat hinted that the band still played. None of the sounds I heard matched the sights in the nightclub in front of me. A cascade of voices crashed in around me. She came in from the house, brother with, needed help going to... The cacophony of voices all spoke at once, breaking over me like a tidal wave. There were no bodies to go with the voices that bypassed my ears and sounded straight into my brain. Each one was confessing secrets or telling stories or even singing songs, all running together into a white noise unlike anything I had experienced before. My vision went black as the cacophony reached a crescendo. I took a deep breath and the blast of noise began to recede. My eyes once again saw the dim confines of the club, picking up the pinpoint green flashes from the sequins on Angelique's dress as she ground her breasts into Mateus's chest. The song the band played faded back into my consciousness, but it was faint in the background, not real. The voices quieted one by one, but when they finally stopped, I knew they weren't gone. So I waited, listening. Are you all right? The first male voice said in his pleasant tenor. His concern touched me, despite the strangeness of hearing him at all. I said, I'm fine. But my voice came out muffled, fuzzy and indistinct even to my own ears. Angelique looked at me from the dance floor, and I quickly closed my mouth. I waved at her and she turned her attention back to dancing. I nodded my head in the general direction of the voices, hoping that would suffice. Did she hear us? A second voice, edged with excitement, came through. This one was a deep baritone, a little harder to make out than the first through the general background noise. I think so, the first voice said. She didn't answer, the second pointed out. Maybe she can't. Then how do you know she heard? That annoying buzzing filled the thoughtful silence. I just know, the first voice said finally. His soothing pitch purred into my ear. We found her. A third voice, female this time, trilled a greeting for attention. The others calmed down to allow her to tell her story. Angelique's dress is so beautiful, don't you think? The soft green caresses that tan skin like a lover. But Bloomingdale's would prefer the green of cash. Too bad darling Angelique didn't see the security cameras. I giggled. Angelique enjoyed the thrill of shoplifting, and even though she hadn't told me she'd stolen the green dress she was wearing, it was entirely possible. I watched her move with a small smile. Angelique and Mateus moved apart to let the other couple join them as they danced in a loose semicircle. Lila, off by herself, tried to join them. But when she got close, Angelique spun away from her, a cruel swirl of sequin-accented chiffon, snubbing the uninspired pastel cotton. Lila responded by winding her body around Mateus as part of a titillating dance move showing up Angelique's saucy spin with its sheer suggestiveness. 
Lila wasn't as oblivious to social nuance as I'd thought. A tiny frown line appeared under Angelique's dimple. Not happy, not happy at all, the clear tenor commented. Murmurs surrounded me as the other countless voices agreed. Well, we shall see how Angelique fares after the arrest. I coughed to disguise my surprise from my friends across the room. Arrest? I started to ask, but then I remembered it wouldn't do any good. The voice went on before I could dwell on it. We always pay for our sins. Always. The sadness deepened his tenor to a laden baritone. His remorse touched me. I closed my eyes so my sight wouldn't distract me as he began to tell his story. I met him when he came as a guest to my church. He challenged the youth group leader teaching Sunday school, brandishing his superior scholarship like a sword, charging ahead on his righteous crusade. I liked him. Here was the kind of Christian I wanted to be, modern, rational, using intellect to bring me closer to God. I sought him out to talk about religion. I even dragged my friends over to hear him speak. He was so smart. He invited us to research everything he said, daring us to find proof he was wrong. None of us ever did. If we found something that looked like it contradicted him, oh, he always had a counter-argument ready, ready and waiting. I stopped looking things up after a while. I soaked up his arguments, his so-called proofs. We all became believers, believers in him. Soon he was making prophecies, revelations that came to him in dreams. Even then I kept believing. It happened so slowly I never realized how ridiculous it sounded when you put it all together. Never understood how he was playing me. I was convinced I knew what kind of man he was and convinced that I followed him of my own free will. But that was when my best friend started to have doubts. He questioned, and he wasn't satisfied with the answers. I refused to listen to my friend when he came to talk to me about the whole thing. But what he said bothered me. So I did what I always did by then when I had a question. I went to him. He told me to kill my friend. And I was so arrogant, so sure of myself. I got a knife, and I tried to cut his throat. It was actually a disappointment when the police saved him from me. I went to jail, thinking I'd martyred myself for my religion, when all I'd really done was turn myself into a lackey. I lost everything including my best friend, because I thought I was smarter than anyone else. I had sinned in my pride, and now I have to pay the price. The tenor fell silent, and the young soprano took up her tale. I popped my eyes open. I saw the band playing, but I no longer heard a note. People danced, bobbing up and down in a rhythm I could only feel through air vibrations. The dissonance of sight and sound was making me physically ill, so I looked away from the stage to the mural of purgatory. 
One at a time, different voices came forth, tales of their sins spilling from unseen lips. To save my sanity, I assigned them the faces I saw in the mural. The initial tenor took the face of a Sisyphean figure high above the others on a mountain road. Sinners towing wagons, cringing from the bites of whips, and toting endless baskets of water all acquired speech, their stories spinning through my mind. Come on, Shelby, time to go. The band is wrapping up for the night. Battling back to awareness, I realized Lila was poking my arm. I looked around, and the band had changed while I listened to the voices. The sounds of the nightclub returned to my consciousness. No trace of the disembodied speakers lingered. Lila turned toward the rest of the group heading to the exit. I shook off the last of my days and followed her. I passed off the whole experience as a delusion from too much alcohol. But as soon as I walked in the door of Dante's circle a few days later, I heard the chattering again. It started as a faint, distant murmur. I sat with my friends, intent on listening to their conversation, though I had to lean in to hear over the chattering that hovered in the distance, but kept getting louder and louder. As I was about to go to the restroom to find some quiet, I heard Lila mention Angelique. You hear? I missed the next few words, picking up the line again as Lila mouthed, Arrested. For what? I shouted. A little too loudly, I guessed, because Mateus glared at me. Shop. The rest escaped under the din, but I got the idea. Bloomingdale's? I asked, quieter this time. It was hard to judge because I couldn't hear myself when I talked. Lila asked me to repeat my question, then nodded. My eyes flicked unconsciously to the mural of purgatory. So it was true, what the soprano said. I found the woman with the heavy water pail in the mural who represented that voice. I gathered from the scattered bits of Lila's story I could hear that the store prosecuted Angelique for grand larceny. Well, Angelique always did have expensive taste. Lila might survive in this clique after all. Aside from a bit of juicy gossip, the new girl had improved her wardrobe, choosing a clingy knit dress in a bolder color than last week's pale palette. The rest of the conversation vanished as the familiar buzzing noise overtook my hearing completely. By the time my friends and I ventured to the dance floor, I couldn't hear anything at all over the noise in my head. That's when I heard the voices again. Back. She's listening. Sisyphus came through again, more distinct than the rest. A chorus of others followed. One at a time, Sisyphus reminded them. I stopped dancing for a moment, searching the murals until I found his painted face high on the mountaintop of Purgatory. I couldn't hear the music, so I just bounced up and down, matching my timing to my friends next to me. Sisyphus hushed the chorus of voices in my head, and by some method I couldn't discern, they chose the next soloist. I saw them in the parking lot after everyone else left, said a deep baritone in a tone full of mischief. I scanned the mural and found an appropriate face to match, a thin blonde man picking rotted apples off a tree. Angelique warned Lila to stay away from Mateus but Lila laughed and said she couldn't steal a man who came willingly. 
Angelique took a swing at her. They fought right there in the parking lot, and when it was all over, Angelique took off in a huff, leaving Lila on her butt in the gravel. Except she also left Lila with one of those anti-theft tags from her dress. His giggle pitched in a higher octave than his speaking voice. It was Lila who told the police where to find Angelique. The apple picker receded into the background, and the chorus debated who would come forth next. I stopped pretending to dance and looked at my fellow dancers. Lila and Mateus certainly looked cozy, bumping and grinding like the star attraction of a porn flick. They weren't paying any attention to me. Those two hadn't even noticed I stopped moving. I had no idea what song played. The air of the club didn't help as there was no heavy thump to clue me in on the beat of the music. The voices were the only things I could hear now. I left the dance floor and found a seat with a good view of purgatory so I could listen, truly listen, to the voices. They said the most amazing things. Some of it was gossip about people around town. Other times it was like a weird game of truth or dare as the voices told me their innermost shame or darkest personal secrets. A few times, I tried to respond, either by talking out loud or nodding my head, but they still couldn't hear me, and if I tried too hard, the voices went away. I didn't want them to go away. I was beginning to like them. Why do you keep coming back to this place, Shelby? Jessica whined as we entered Dante's circle for the third time that week. This place is so over. I know, I said. Tonight, she was the only one I could convince to return to this club. Our friends had moved on to a new club across town, but I couldn't tell Jessica the real reason I wanted to come here. I claimed my usual table and moved my chair to give me the best view. Jessica left to wander to the bar for drinks. I hoped a good-looking guy would distract her there for a while. It was a strain to keep up a conversation when all I really wanted to do was listen. Good thing there was no band tonight. I wouldn't have to try to dance to music I couldn't hear. My eyes sought out the familiar painted faces of purgatory. I fancied myself their confessor, and the voices in my head were tormented souls I helped to do their penance. I rather liked that idea. When I turned to signal a waitress, I caught sight of Jessica, bored and alone at the bar. What was I doing here? Somehow, her choosing to sit alone, rather than be seen with me, drove home that I hadn't been paying enough attention to my friends with real bodies lately. Even Lila hadn't sent me an invitation to her birthday party, and I'd never been excluded from a major party before. I had let my status slip to second stringer. I stood up, careful not to look back at the mural of purgatory. Jessica was right, I told myself. This place is over. Besides, it really wasn't necessary to come here anymore. I could hear the voices everywhere now. <coughs> Mortimer's Tale, Dante's Circle, was written by Erica Kaler. Mortimer's narrator for this tale 
was Erica Kaler. This tale first appeared in Dark Light 3, available on Amazon.com. Sound effects were sourced from freesoundslibrary.com.